Welcome, friends. You're listening to Conversations with Consequences. This is the radio show and podcast of the Catholic Association, where you get witty and charming conversation about the topics that matter to you with the leading thinkers of our time. If you're listening on the radio, you are listening at 11 a.m. on Fridays on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And if not, you're listening to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We can be found at, on Apple, Spotify, Overcast, uh, SoundCloud, you name it, we're there. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, and I am joined today in studio by my good friend and colleague at the Catholic Association, Andrea picciotti Bear. Hello, Andrea. Hey, Gracie. Thank you again for this chance to talk with you. No, no, no. It's a, it's a wonder. We have so much fun doing this. It's really not stressful do, at all. <laughs> we don't have any stress associated with it. <laughs> well, today is a totally non-stress show because we um, are very fortunate to have a good friend. Of, uh, he happens to be a good friend of mine and also Andreas, and his name is Father Juan Velez. He's going to join us today to talk about Cardinal John Cardinal Newman. John Cardinal Newman will be our newest saint come October 13th. He'll be canonized by the Holy Father in Rome. And uh, Father Juan Velez has, has written three, I'm not sure if it's three or four books about Cardinal Newman. So just to tell you a little bit about him before we bring him on, he is uh, a native of Medellin, Colombia, but he grew up also in London and Philadelphia. He's a doctor like me, which I think is so cool, in, in internal medicine, but he left medicine uh, once he uh, became a priest of, at, at the Pontifical University of the Holy Cross, where he got his uh, licentiate in theology. He also has a doctorate in theology from the University of Navarre. And, um, and Gracie, he's now I've, a resident of Miami. I'm, look, I'm reading from his bio. It says he's a resident of Chicago, but he happens to be a resident well, of Miami. Well, and before he went to Miami, he was in Chicago. And I am so grateful because Father Juan took in my number two when my number two went to uh, Northwestern University outside of Chicago. And oh, I didn't know that. received him and gave him formation and befriended him. And so I'm glad that he now is where my other good friends are, the Christies in Miami. But I also want to say, too, on, uh, Father Juan is a great treasure for the church, and um, he is a, a proud, Colombia is very proud to have a son so well-formed as Father Juan oh, as well. well they, so they he has, really his reputation be. in Colombia is very big as well. Well, they should be. He's an intellect and, and also a, a real, his heart, his heart is very big. And so with those words... Welcome, Father Juan Velez, to our uh, radio show and podcast, Conversations with Consequences. Thank you, Gracie. It's good to be with you. You know, we've uh, Andrea and I wanted to have you on uh, today because you are an expert on who the person who's going to be our newest saint come October 13th. I believe that the date is the 13th of the canonization, and I'm talking about Cardinal John Henry Newman. Um, you have written, I, I believe, three books on Cardinal Newman. And I've read, I've read at least two of them. I'm holding one in my hand called now Holiness in a Secular Age. It's an excellent book. Uh, we recently, we were just interviewing not long ago, uh, Mr. George Weigel. And he said, he's also read this book and he thought it was excellent. Said, Father Villas has a firm, good grasp on Newman's work. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank, thank you both. And hello, Andrea. I forgot to greet you. This is a, it's, it's exciting to talk about Newman and, and, if somebody likes what I've written, it's really because of the quotes of Newman and his teaching, which is really extraordinary, as, as, as both of you know. So I can understand that and very happy to talk uh, with you about him today. Well, you're very modest because you say it's all about Newman. But, you you know, Newman, um, he's a saint uh, that... It, I think he comes upon uh, most people where they say, oh, Cardinal Newman's going to be canonized. And, and it's a little hard to grasp for most people. But you do a great job of, of explaining why Cardinal Newman is a saint for today's age and is a saint that all of us can take to heart and can, can make ours. Uh, what if, if you, you had – can you give us a little uh, – we're going to assume that most of our listeners don't know much about Cardinal Newman because uh, probably that's – the case for it's most fair. people. <laughs> That's a fair assumption. It was before I started reading uh, your yes. great books, right. Father Juan. So I, I, I so give that Juan, confession yeah. early on. Maybe, Father Juan, okay. you can give us sort of a, an overview of his life. Can, tell us who is Cardinal Newman. Sure. Sure. Well, well John Henry Newman is, uh, is one of the great English thinkers and writers. Um, and he was born in 1801 in London. 
he was one of uh, six, and uh, he went to a a boarding school at a young age, and then went at a young age, about sixteen, went to Oxford and studied at Oxford. As 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 you know, he he began to teach at Oxford afterwards, and he uh, studying the, the studying the Church Fathers and uh, studying Scripture gradually came to realize that the Catholic Church was the Church founded by Jesus, and so he became Roman Catholic when he was 44. We can talk a little bit more about that when he was 44 in 1845. And uh, just skipping ahead, he became, uh, he continued to write books and became an important voice of the Catholic Church in England. And, uh, but he is also someone who teaches us about loving God in the ordinary life, Mm -hmm. uh, sanctifying our work, our studies, and and so he, he has a lot to teach us about just uh, loving our Lord, practicing the faith, uh, receiving the sacraments. Um, and, and he's extraordinary because he does it uh, with a lot of insight, with a lot of, um, with a lot of um, uh, taking the scriptures and, and opening, unfolding the scriptures for us, and, and also keeping us, uh, presenting to us the tradition of the church, the tradition of the church over the centuries. So he really knows how to connect with previous uh, thinkers and saints and, and presents to us the, the whole picture of the, of the teaching of the church. Well, Father Juan, I was um, grateful to start reading Holiness in a Secular Age and learn a little bit more about Cardinal Newman. And, and it would be, I think, uh, an error to think that he is a saint only for intellectuals. Right, he's he's definitely a saint for intellectuals, but he's also a saint for the rest of us. <laughs> Through all, like w- right. exactly what you were saying, this very human, um, very genuine earnestness that comes through in his dealings with his friends, with the young people that he was teaching, and uh, with the concern that he has for all souls, and and it seems to me that his conversion was not just one of his mind, but it was of his heart. And, um, right. and, and it, it brings me to his kind of motto. And perhaps you could mention a little bit about the motto of Cardinal Newman and the role of, sure. of the heart in, in his faith. Sure. His motto was heart to heart speaks, which was taken, adapted from a letter of St. Francis de Sales, who lived in the 17th century. But before that, Andrea, since you mentioned that, and I didn't explain it well. He, his writings, especially his uh, sermons and his prayers, uh, they they help people in general, all, all types of people, to l- practice the virtues, to um, to try to practice the, uh, what our Lord teaches in the Scriptures. So it, it's addressed to to everyone. And he uses the word earnestness, which you used, which which he, by that he means taking seriously the faith, taking seriously our Lord. And, uh, and he, he would write to university students, but also to uh, working men, to married women who were at home, to women who were writers, to, to, to everyone, not just people at Oxford uh, teaching or, or studying at Oxford. But, but that motto, going back to now to your question, heart to heart, um, has to do with um, how what he thought about how we, we, we reach others through friendship and, and we share with others what we have, what's, uh, what we have within us, what's special to us. And what's most special to us is, is the faith, is our love for God, and we share it with others. So it, it's, it, it's, it's something that, um, that he, he took as, a, as his motto when he became a cardinal, but really which he practiced all his life. Mm-hmm. Sharing the faith through his friendship and through his teaching of students. Um, so that, those are a few a few thoughts that come to mind about this. I'm going to maul his quote, his, his saying, but he said something about how how only only true friendships prepare us to adequately love our neighbor. It is in learning to love our friends that we that we learn to love uh, people outside our circle. I thought that was very, that, that is the indication of a person who really valued his friendships and knew how to be a good friend. Well, you, you write it in your book, very... Father Juan, you say that he could be um, a doctor of the church and be the doctor of friendship. 
And I, when I read right. that, I thought that was, right. it's a really nice and and it's not what you'd expect his title to be, right? Not what a lot of people would expect his title to be. They might consider it, right. uh, you know, because of his inter- intellectual vigor. Um, but I, I like the fact that you honed in and focus us on seeing that that dear one-to-one relationship that he forged and the example that he gave in, in that. You know, Father Juan, I yes, think it and, might be helpful. He, Go ahead, Father. Oh, I'm sorry. And yes, he, he'll probably be named doctor for the conscience, moral conscience, mm-hmm. or, or, or doctrinal truth, perhaps, well, no, or, or a doc, development of doctrine. But I, I just threw that out, which won't be the case, because it is so special that, that he, he had so many friends, and, and he said, going back to what you were saying, Gracie, that to love people in general, to love people out, we have, first have to love those near us and, and those mm-hmm. we deal with, or else the, the, the rest is just a, a, a nice dream, a nice thought, but it's not real. So, yes. And you were going to ask, I'm sorry. What? Well, I was going to, I was going to ask us, I was going to ask you to take us back a little bit, back to his, the history of, of Cardinal Newman, because I find his history very compelling. And I think our, some of our listeners may not be aware of some of the facts of, of how spectacular his conversion was, mm-hmm. what, what a huge event it was for Christianity in general, Protestant and Catholic Christianity. So maybe tell us, please, Father Juan, about how, he was at Oxford as an Anglican priest, and 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 how maybe that we can tell us about the tracks and the Oxford movement and all that. Yes, well, when when he um, as a young as a young uh, clergyman, Anglican clergyman, he and other friends realized that uh, the Church of England was being uh, governed, so to speak, so to, by 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 the by the crown, by the government. They, they were involved in appointments of bishops and changing laws that affected the church and and, and also uh, that a certain part of the members of the Anglican Church uh, did not uh, did not um, give importance to doctrine because they wanted to include everyone so they watered down the doctrine so he and some friends started the Oxford movement at Oxford and he consisted in writing pamphlets they called them tracts talking about the the uh, the uh, talking about the, the scriptures, talking about the authority of the bishops, talking about uh, holiness, and and also talking about uh, uh, just a whole variety of, 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 of Christian topics. And this movement had an effect in England that it started renewing the Anglican Church and strengthening the Anglican Church, but. After a number of years of being part of that movement, of leading that movement, being the leader, he began to realize that uh, that our Lord was calling him to to be a member of the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and he realized that uh, that the Anglican Church continued to be uh, tied to the government. Well, I got and, the sense and, and it, I got the sense, Father, that the tracks were God's way of leading Cardinal Newman to the church, and and would you think? In, in knowing how his reflection on his own conversion, do you think he appreciated the role of that um, moment when he was an Anglican? <laughs> um, That's a good way of putting it. I mean, because, for example, Tract 90, which is the last tract, he was trying to explain how the Anglican, the teaching of the, of the, uh, the uh, Anglican Church, the, uh, the, the Articles of Faith, they really... Uh, were could be interpreted a lot uh, in Catholic in a Catholic way, mm-hmm. and so he thought that that was possible. But uh, but then some people in the Anglican Church and, and the bishops, the Anglican bishops said no, and, and 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 that made Newman realize that that somehow the Anglican Church had broken away from the greater tradition, the greater Catholic tradition. So, so the, the the writing of the tracts led Newman uh, and others to. To the Catholic faith. Later, he said that the Oxford movement was that was not its intention, but in, but in reality, that was the fulfillment of the completion. That's what it it, it would how God was leading them to the to the Catholic Church. And it's in the question of his intention as he try as he moves through this period of creating the Oxford movement and writing all those tracts. Uh, he's at the end. Um, he, as you say, in Track ninety, 
he he's a, he basically he's, he's he's shut down, right? The Anglican Church shuts him down, and he retreats out of Oxford uh, because he um, is accused of having a deceitful intention the, of casuistry. If that's a way, is that how you pronounce it, Father? Casuist. How do you pronounce yes. that? That's a hard word. Yes. Casuistry, yeah. Casuistry. So he, um, so he's a, he's accused of these things of, of of being like a secret Catholic priest all the time, or a secret <laughs> Catholic, and trying to draw all these these eminences of of or Oxford, and all these young uh, men into Catholicism to swim the Tiber with him. And this is a very painful thing to be accused for a man who was so. Um, enamored of truth, who really believed that the, that human beings should not only seek for truth, but then cling to truth when they find it. It was a very difficult blow for him to be accused of these things, was it not? Yes, because that wasn't his intention. And he, in, in fact, when, when he was getting closer to the Catholic Church, as, as you might recall, he, 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 he resigned his position as, as the, 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 the rector or the pastor of St. Mary the Virgin, mm-hmm. uh, the church in, in Oxford, because he, he didn't want to mislead those government coming there, um, and he retired to Littlemore, a few uh, two miles away, to pray and think for a few years. But he didn't want to mislead people, so he was trying to be sincere with others and also sincere with himself and see where God was leading him. And he also realized that that people in the Anglican Church can be saved and can love God, but but he he realized that with the knowledge that God had given to him about about the tradition of the church, the, the authority of the pope, uh, the purgatory, prayer to the saints, the sacrifice of the mass, he realized that his understanding of that led him to to need to embrace the Catholic Church. So he, he said that he was he felt responsible and conscious that he, he had to take that step. But mm-hmm. others who had received less grace than him or less understanding were, were not obliged to do that. And they remained his friends. And close to him, many of right. them. Father, I, I want to go yeah. back to what you mentioned before, um, that Cardinal Newman could be considered the doctor of, of conscience. And in your book, you flag a misunderstanding of the notion of conscience. And, and you write, modern man uses the word conscience as a convenient way to rationalize his sins. And I think um, I'd like to hear a little bit about Newman's understanding of following conscience and how that leads to truth. It's not moral relativism, um, not saying that what's wrong is right, but really leading the person, if they truly are following their conscience, they're going to come to the, the plenitude of truth. And and I think that that's um, a really beautiful and important contribution that Newman's making to the world right now. You know, the you world know, is very confused. Andrea, I think that's a very that's an excellent question, but it's a big question with a big answer. And maybe we need to take a little break and uh, come I, back. I'd, I'd like to right. I'd like to address it more, but it's a big, important, important question for our times. And maybe we can address it in another segment, uh, I, I, so we have a little bit more time for that, Andrea. Well, okay. Thank you, Father Juan. This is conversations with consequences. We're going to take a very short break, and we shall be right back. Welcome back, friends. This is Dr. Gracie Christie. I'm your hostess at Conversations with Consequences, the radio show and podcast of the Catholic Association. I'm joined in our D.C. studio by my good friend and colleague, Andrea picciotti Bayer, who I fondly like to call the legal eagle of the Catholic <laughs> Association. <laughs> She's going to make me stop doing that because no, it's too much No, I, I love it. I actually love it. I love that you, <laughs> it makes me feel good about myself. Okay. Today we're talking to a friend of both of ours, Father Juan Velez, and he is uh, an expert, a world-renowned expert on Cardinal John Cardinal Newman, uh, who will be beatified. Uh, sorry, canonized in October. He's going to be our newest saint very soon, and and I, he happens to be to me. Uh, I'm I'm, a, I'm I'm fascinated by Cardinal Newman. I, I adore his writings. I love the way I'm a big Victorian. Um, I'm a big fan of Victorian literature. And Cardinal Newman, to me, is one of the the important writers uh, of that period. I think he's considered a minor writer, but I think that's unfair. What do you think about that, Father Juan? Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. And uh, 
uh, he, he's uh, let's put it that he's admired by uh, you know people who know English English language and and the 19th century they, they 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 certainly admire Newman and that's why his idea of a university is read in throughout a few chapters throughout the world because people admire the, his writing his prose and uh, so I'm I'm glad to hear what you say because I know you you know Trollope and, and other English authors <laughs> Thackeray and, and and others uh, of the 19th century. Well, not being an Anglophone. Is it Anglophone? Anglophile. Anglophile. Or an Anglophone. You are an Anglophone. (laughs) (laughs) Not being either of those. It was a a great opportunity and invitation for for me to learn more about Newman, and especially your books, Father Juan, I find um, very informative and very helpful and and help focus me. And before our inopportune uh, commercial break, we were able to um, touch upon something that I was drawn to, which is... Cardinal Newman's conversation on the role of conscience. And Father, if you could bring us back to that and help reorient sure. what what he means in following conscience and how maybe currently we're misunderstanding his his words. Yeah. So he he um he called conscience the voice of God following the tradition of Thomas St. Thomas Aquinas. And he wrote, for example, this view of conscience, I know, is very different from that ordinary taken of it, both by the science and literature and by the public opinion of this day. It is founded on the doctrine that conscience is the voice of God, whereas it is fashionable on all hands now to consider it, in one way or another, a creation of man. And, and that's from his famous letter to the Duke of Norfolk. And today people say... Oh, my conscience tells me that. My tr- this is my truth. That's your truth. So conscience becomes whatever you want it to be, not, not something that is uh, objective and clear that God uh, speaks to us. And to, to unpack that a little bit, it's not like there's an audible voice that God speaks to us in, like we hear a radio program, but it's the voice of God in the sense that it's man's understanding of the natural law, what the natural law, which is our participation in God's design for the world, in God's mm-hmm. creation. And it's a natural law uh, that uh, the things that God wants man and men and women to know, we understand that, and when we understand that, that's the voice of God. Now, usually, that, that understanding of natural law is, is weakened in man because of sin, so God has given to us revelation and the teaching of the church to help us so that we won't mistake the voice of God. But, uh, so, but now, continuing with conscience, so for Newman, conscience is something objective that has to do with natural law, with revelation, with the church's teaching, and it has a commanding, it has a, because it is that, it's commanding. We're, we're obliged to do what our conscience tells us. But this conscience is not something that we make up. And that's what young people today often, and mm-hmm. that's the young people, they think conscience is whatever you, you feel like it. Well, that's a totally mistaken idea of conscience and, and of freedom. Father, if, there's if, an interesting concept that dovetails into that, um, that Cardinal Newman uh, maybe is being misinterpreted. And that's dealing with the authority of the church and the, the magisterium, and in particular, papal infallibility and how um, we get from the church kind of the information to help form our conscience. And perhaps you could speak a little bit about what was Cardinal Newman's position on the role of the Pope and the Pope's um, infallibility with regard to teaching on, on morals uh, and, and church and doctrine. Right. Well, to, to bring us into that, so for... Conscience speaks to us. God speaks to us, but we need to we need to study the catechism. We need to study our faith, so that we will be more aware of God speaking to us, and and so that's and so that we won't make things up. Um, and and he he wrote in the when he was being made a cardinal, he, he gave an address which sums up a lot of his teaching. And there he says, liberalism in religion, and by liberalism he meant. Uh, uh, not about political party, but liberalism in, another, in a wider sense in religion is the doctrine that there is no positive truth in religion, but that one creed is as good as another, 
and that and this is the teaching which is gaining substance and force today uh, it teaches that all are to be tolerated as all are matters of opinion mm-hmm. revealed religion is not a truth but a sentiment and a taste not an objective fact so so Newman saw that this and saw that this problem and father that is not compatible with what if the if the voice of if, if the conscience is the aboriginal voice of of Christ and and everyone's uh soul then that is not compatible with a world in which all truths are equal or there is no firm truth correct especially reli- uh, religious but, truth certainly that, that's so there's a there's this just uh, gross error but it's kind of it's 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 a, it's a willful error because we want to believe what we want to believe so we, mm-hmm. we fall into the error that, that that we that we can, that we can that we that we can think whatever we want and and, and so the, so our God gives us teaches us through revelation and uh, and and the church the church uh, formulates that revelation explains that revelation and and sometimes the Pope does it uh, going to your question earlier Andrea sometimes the Pope does it. Uh, proclaiming uh, what is called infallible teaching, which the Pope does on certain occasions to uh, to uh, explain some teaching of Scripture, which uh, there might that the Pope wants to make absolutely clear for everyone. So the Pope speaks infallibly when he speaks in accord with the bishops throughout time uh, on the truth revealed in Scripture. And that is binding on conscience, binding to, for people to believe, mm-hmm. and that's the infallible teaching of the Pope. And uh, and, and we're and, and we're supposed to adhere to that. Uh, now, Numa was clear to say that when the Pope is not speaking in an infallible way, when he's not pronouncing an infallible teaching, which he he rarely does, when he's not doing that. The Pope, for example, when he speaks about politics or about science or about other things, the Pope can make mistakes. In those circumstances, each person has to be respectful to the Pope, but has to act according to his conscience, according to what he understands to be the voice of God, speaking through natural law, speaking through revelation, and speaking through the tradition of the Church. But um, when he when he talks uh, when he wrote about where conscience is, I guess superior to the 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 pronouncements of the Pope, it wasn't to undermine the Pope. I mean, still we we need sure. to listen to the Holy Father and and bring many things to prayer. But but I think the crux sometimes people seem today to be. Um, Pointing to Newman as kind of uh, allowing a free for all, and and that when right, you were no, talking no, about the, his the, his his writings, he didn't not at all, right? Not at all. The, the, yeah, that, that 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 would be a mistake, and that would not be his um, his uh, his thinking. What, what Newman what Newman was was uh, underlining is is the, the, the power of conscience as the voice of God. So he's saying that that God is. God is above, above the Pope, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's the way. So that was a kind of a quip. Uh, he said that you know, if I had to to make a dinner toast, uh, I would I would toast to conscience. I would toast to the Pope, but first to conscience. So what, what he's just doing is underlining the the that that above all there is God and mm-hmm. He speaks to us. Absolutely. But it wasn't a question of underlining the. The Pope's authority, when 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 the Pope spoke uh, in general, his, his general teaching or his infallible teaching. Mm-hmm. And, and, but I can see where it can be used. People people try to use Newman's thinking to to suit their their way of thinking, and that's very clear. For example, in the in what Newman speaks about development of doctrine, Newman is is very important in this subject, but yet his writings are are misconstrued by some people. So that they to make to make people think that Newman agrees with with their way of thinking that that doctrine develops and and so therefore we have to accept that doctrine changes and and uh, and that that is always good. Father, so would you say that that's the basis for the idea uh, that does exist out there 
that uh, Newman um, can be used to, um, for instance, uh, can be made into the prophet of Amoris Laetitia, for instance, or can be used to to, um, to justify any progressive uh, change uh, in in Catholic dogma and doctrine. The fact that saying that revelation doesn't bind us, that history allows us to know better than Jesus and the apostles did. Uh, because we have so much more experience, um, I, I've have heard I have heard uh, progressive Catholics use Newman to justify these uh, ideas. Is, is that does that come from his development of doctrine theology? Well, uh, the, he, um, he 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 was uh, one of the the, the first um, theologians to write extensively about development of doctrine. Uh, an, another an, another church writer. Vincent of Lorraine had done that, I think, in the fourth century. But but Newman does it more extensively. And after that, after Newman, other people have also done it extensively. But uh, when Newman is doing that, he's, he's he's showing us that that there can be growth in doctrine, just like a tree grows from a sapling and becomes a tree, or a stream can become a river. So there's mm-hmm. growth in doctrine, in our understanding of certain teachings. Um, for example, of the Holy Eucharist, or understanding about marriage, or understanding about uh, the, the papal authority, there can be growth in our understanding and and our formulation also of, of different truths, and uh, and we can arrive at new truths. But uh, it becomes tricky because when when there is that growth, uh, you have to, you have to distinguish when is that growth good. In key, and, and when is that growth mistaken? When, when, is, it, when is it erroneous? And, and so one can see how people would, and, and even Newman, there's, there's a risk that, he, that, that his, his thinking could lead you to, to accept that any growth is normal. But, but certainly, precisely Newman uh, thought about this and wrote about this to try to figure out, well, how can we tell bad growth Bad development from good development from good growth, mm-hmm. and 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 he came up with with seven criteria, which basically in, in a nutshell the, the criteria are that you have good development or good good growth of doctrine when it's respectful of the origin when it's in keeping with the origin, mm-hmm. and when it doesn't contradict the, the the origin when it doesn't contradict previous doctrine. Mm-hmm. But people when they when they talk about when, when some Catholics try to defend their, their ideas on development of doctrine, for example, on marriage, and some things in Amoris Laetitia, for example, they, when, and they appeal to Newman, they, they never mention mm. Newman's safeguards yeah. or, or the test that he, that he established so that we could identify between a good development and a bad development. Father, there's something um, else in, in, in your writing on Newman that I found Beautiful, and you referenced it uh, when we were speaking earlier, and that was um, his kind of exemplary writing and exam and, and personal life uh, that showed Christian virtue. And I was thinking, gosh, he could be the doctrine, the doctor of the of the Church on virtue, um, and 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 what it is to be um, a Christian gentleman and an educated man. And when I say that, I mean man and women. Um, and perhaps you could share a little bit more about why Newman gives us a great uh, signpost on how to live virtuous lives as Christians. Yes, uh, well, it's, it's difficult, but I'll, I'll try. One, <laughs> one, 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 no yeah, pressure. Things, sure. <laughs> he was a, a person who prayed, and he had a habit of prayer, of, of regular habit of prayer, different times of the day of prayer. And he was uh, in his meals. He was he was uh, measured. He was temperate. Uh, he he also, in fact, and this will sound strange, but he, he did regular. He went. He exercised as a young man, right, taking mm-hmm. long walks or riding horses, um, horseback riding. Uh, he was he spent he uh, he spent time in study. He. Uh, he was punctual to preaching, and he prepared his so his work. He prepared his sermons, and he would visit the, the, the parishioners who were sick. And so he, he he took seriously his his obligations. And when he, when he went to visit people, or when people came to visit him, he he listened. He was 
He was kind. He was respectful in listening to people. When he disagreed with them, he 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 uh, he tried to understand them. He tried to act with charity when there was misunderstanding. Uh, also, he in his daily life he would give alms, you know, contributions, donations to different causes, different biblical organizations uh, to promote the study of the faith, to popular to to to. Uh, to teach the catechism to people. He would help some employees uh, at the college or, or later on at the oratory, at the Birmingham oratory. He would help the employees to, with their personal family difficulties or financial difficulties. So, so basically it was someone who was practicing the virtues. Mm-hmm. Really, so he, was, he, was, he, he wasn't talk, he was doing, he was really living what he was talking about. Father, way back and, when and people he... people noticed that people hmm. noticed that. Sorry, and, and and so they so when he preached about it, they, they there was like people were like they were not mesmerized, but almost because it was the real thing. Mm-hmm. Well, he had a coherency in his life. Yeah, yeah. Father, way back in the beginning of Newman's life, when he was even a young tutor in uh, Oriel, I think, college in Oxford. He 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 fell out of he he went he got into a, an argument or he he was removed from tutoring because he thought that as a tutor, he was responsible for the moral, the moral and spiritual formation of the students, not just their intellectual development. And he I think he stopped being a tutor for a while, maybe forever. I'm not sure about that. You probably know, Father. But uh, this leads me to the fact that uh, he had a very, uh, very strong ideas and very beautiful ideas. Actually, I have, I've, I've had, I've, I've, I'm putting one child through college, and I've, I've got two graduates, one from Oxford, actually, and, and, and I, I see that the idea of a university education is really, really way off from what uh, Cardinal Newman would uh, idealized. In, in his book, the idea of a university education, but also what he exemplified when he wanted to be a tutor and take and take special care, pastoral care of the students, not just their intellectual development. Yes, he 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 is a, a giant in the field of education, university education, and 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 many of his ideas are in his famous book, the the idea of a university, but many of them are also found in. In what he actually did as a tutor at Oxford that you were mentioning, and after Oxford he stopped being a tutor, but but then he went he started the Catholic University of, of Ireland in Dublin. He was asked by the Archbishop of, of Dublin to do that, or the bishops of Ireland, and there he put into practice his ideas that he wanted to put in practice at Oxford. Mm-hmm. And the ideas were basically, and you were alluding to them, Gracie, is that the students require individual attention and they learn from, uh, from from a mentor and they learn from their peers through good conversations through facing difficulties through studying together and in a way his ideal or, or, or not only his ideal what he was doing would approach what a small Catholic liberal arts college that is faithful to church teaching for example Thomas Aquinas University or college uh, it, that, that would approximate to what Newman had in mind: student living, students living together in small groups, with a mentor, with a chaplain, uh, studying the liberal arts, and uh, and growing and, and growing together. spiritually and morally, right? Not just in intellect, the way they 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 teach at a college now. Definitely. In college now, it's all about Definitely. preparing preparing to make money when you <laughs> and right. having the right. having Definitely. the diploma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, in fact, so in each small house or collegiate house there would be a chapel there would be mass uh, students who talk to the priest uh, there would be uh, th- th- there would be a, a unity between faith and, and intellectual life and mm-hmm. morality and intellectual life it, there, there wasn't that dissociation which we have today in, in the life of most college and university students we, we could say a lot about that but it, it, it's it's really worth worth learning and reading about and in this book that's by Scepter Publishers, Holiness in Secular Age, there's, there's some chapters on that, and, and I, I, hope, I hope that people will, will, will read, read about that more. Father, no conversation about any saint or soon-to-be saint would be complete without talking about their love for Our Lady. 
And it's it's interesting because we're dealing with a convert to Catholicism um, coming from a place where um, there wasn't uh, the same appreciation and love for Mary. And I think it's uh, beautiful, especially in the last chapter, last chapters of your book, you highlight Newman's love for Mary and devotion to Mary. And I think a lot of listeners would love to hear um, the special role that Our Lady had in Newman's life uh, throughout his life and in, in his life as a Catholic. It, it, it is moving. And, and as, as you know, he, his uh, devotion to Mary uh, uh, grew. First, he admired her as an Anglican, and, uh, but then as a Catholic, he prayed to her and, and he grew closer to her, almost childlike. And, hmm. and one of the things he wrote, and you might remember, is he, he wrote, There is no part of the history of Jesus, but Mary has her part in it. There are those who profess to be his servants who think that her work was ended when she bore him, and after that she had nothing to do but disappear and be forgotten. And then he continues talking about that that's not true. And, and then later on he says, Sweet Mother, let us ever think of thee when we think of Jesus and when we pray to him. And he, he and then and then he um, he encouraged others to to grow in their love for Mary and and the, the students at the oratory school where, where that he founded in Birmingham. He taught them to have devotion to her, to pray the rosary, to crown Mary and and May, hmm. and just to have this filial trust, uh, childlike trust in in Mary and, and Saint Joseph. Speaking of, of the saints, uh, you are a numerary priest of Opus Dei, and in some of your writings you've spoken about the similarities between Newman and St. Jose Maria. Uh, and I was wondering, perhaps you could, in your research, I think we all kind of see things and what the connections are. Uh, how, how are there similarities between these two modern-day saints, soon-to-be Saint uh, Newman and St. Jose Maria? I, that's wonderful. I'm glad you asked that. I think one of the, the emphasis is that they both talk about holiness. They talk about holiness and that it's at the reach of everyone in, in practicing the virtues, in, uh, in uh, having a life of prayer and a life of charity. So this, this, this uh, idea of, of holiness. But then the other thing is that, that holiness for the laity, the laity are not second-class citizens in the church, that Laymen and women are as much part of the church as the priests and the bishops, the religious. And so the importance of the laity and, and for them to, to, to know the faith and to, and to uh, have a, an influence in society. Newman helped lawyers and teachers and writers and government officials to practice the faith there in, in, their, in their everyday work and to, make an, and to influence society through their through their. The practice of their uh, through their Christian lives, so that's another area. The other area would be education. They they, they both Saint Jose Maria and, and before that Blessed John Henry Newman uh, realized the importance of uh, of the harmonies between faith and reason, and and how the the, uh, the the Christian through his professional work can bring to light important truths. That men, all men and women need to need to see. So that's another area, big, big area, the area of education and educa education, ed educating in virtue, at the university also. That, that 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 there's a similarity between these two saints. Well, th you know, Father, you you said bring to life, and I I have to thank you very much for spending this time with us and um, bringing to life uh, Cardinal Newman, who's going to be our newest saint on October 13th. He'll be canonized by the Holy Father. In Rome, I wish, I wish, like like anything that I could be there. I know, mm -hmm. I know, Father, you do too. I don't know. Maybe you will be there, Father. Do you think you'll be able to make it? Yes, I'm very, I'm very, I'm very fortunate that I will be there, and I will pray for you, for those, for your listeners, and and I invite, I invite all of you, those who are listening, and both of you to, to ask uh, Blessed John Henry Newman, Saint John Henry Newman, soon, to uh, to help you in your work and. To help you to to spread the faith to your to your friends. Well, we certainly will, Father. And can you tell our listeners where they can find your very good books on Father Newman? I mean, on Cardinal Newman. On Cardinal Newman, thank you. Well, Scepter Publishers has um, has them, and then there's Passion for Truth, 
which is 10 publishers, 10 St. Benedict. Well, uh, we will... A biography I wrote of Newman. No, and I highly recommend reading them. They're very informative, well-researched, and they also are are engaging for any reader. And we're going to link to them, Father, on our podcast page so that our listeners can do that. And thank you again for joining us, Father Juan Velez, on Conversations with Consequences, the radio show and podcast of the Catholic Association. It's been a great pleasure. God bless you. Thank you. Every morning, the Catholic Association reviews all the latest news and sends our subscribers a carefully curated collection of the most important news of the day. Items are specifically selected for a smart Catholic audience like you. Don't let the world take you by surprise. Subscribe to our daily media roundup at thecatholicassociation.org. This week, as is customary, Father Roger Landry gives us a short but brilliant homily on this coming Sunday's Gospel. Please stay tuned for Father Landry and do look up his daily homily written in audio on his website, catholicpreaching.com. This is Father Roger Landry, and it's a joy to have a chance to ponder with you the consequential conversation Jesus wants to have with us all this Sunday. The gospel, Jesus will heal 10 lepers of this dreadful disease, but he had a far greater miracle in mind. Just as when Elisha healed Naaman the Syrian, who we'll encounter in the first reading, Naaman received a greater gift, the recognition that there's no God in all the earth except the Lord, and that he would no longer offer sacrifices or worship to false gods, but only to the true Lord. So Jesus wanted to work a similar two-part miracle in the gospel. All ten lepers were cured of a disease that had been eating away their flesh and bones, that had made them stink, that had made them the worst of outcasts, forced them to stay at least 50 feet away from any non-leper. It had compelled them at all times to yell out, unclean, unclean, any time anyone was approaching. It had cut them off from their family members. It had also cut them off from the synagogue, as they could never go on Sunday to pray at the synagogue or the temple on major holy days. But at their cry for mercy, Jesus healed all ten, sent them to priests to verify that the disease had stopped growing and that they were no longer contagious. And as they were on their way, all ten were completely cured. After recognizing that the miracle for which they had long prayed had been granted, who would have expected all ten of them would have been rejoicing almost as if they had been raised from the dead. But only one of the ten returned to thank the Lord Jesus who had given them this incredible gift. And genius, Jesus poignantly asks, ten were cleansed, were they not? Where are the other nine? Jesus wished them all to return, not because he had worked the miracle with impure motives to get them to give him a thank you note, but so that he might grant them something else even greater than a stupendous physical cure. He wanted to give them all what he had given the one Samaritan who returned, the grace of salvation by faith. After the healed man fell down at his feet to thank him with all his heart, Jesus said, stand up and go. Your faith has saved you. Jesus came in the world not fundamentally to heal our bodies, but to heal our souls. He came not to remedy our ills, but to redeem our lives. In order to receive these greater gifts, however, we need gratefully to be in relationship with God. While all ten men were cured of physical leprosy, nine retained what we might call a leprosy of the soul, an ingratitude that took for granted the greatest gift they had received in life until then. Only the grateful leper would receive that gift of salvation, because only he had a heart open to receive it. The fact he was a Samaritan prompted Jesus to ask, has none but this foreigner returned to give thanks to God? The other nine lepers were presumably Jews. Jesus was shocked because the Jews had been trained by God for centuries in the prayers of the Psalms and in the incredible events of salvation history to give thanks to God. If anyone should have learned how to say thanks, it should have been the Jews. But many of them took God's generosity, God's goodness, God's greatness for granted. The other nine looked at the disease probably with anger toward God, as if they had been somehow sadistically chosen for unjust punishment. And when they found themselves cured, it would be like somebody getting released from an unkind kidnapper, grateful for their liberation. But they likely wouldn't send a box of chocolates to the one who had held them in captivity. 
The Samaritan, however, even though his body had been disintegrating, his soul hadn't been destroyed by the leprosy of bitterness or complaint or cursing or ingratitude. His fundamental relationship with God was still there. He likely thanked God for all the little things he received from his hands, like the generosity of people who would provide food or give a kind word of compassion. When he received the huge grace of his cure, he did what he probably always did and immediately sought to thank the giver. And he likely grew to thank God even for his years of leprosy, because if he hadn't been a leper, he may never have encountered Jesus the way he did and never would have received the gift of salvation. So it's key for us Christians to focus on gratitude. We've been blessed with gifts of faith through Jesus far greater than the Jews ever received. But do we readily thank God for his gifts and through gratitude offer ourselves even more profoundly to a life-changing relationship with the divine giver? Or do we behave like the nine other lepers? Some Catholics are known by their friends and family for their gratitude. Others are known for having the type of behavior that would complain about the menu at the Last Supper. For them, the beach is too sunny, the water too wet. They grumble about what they don't have, rather than rejoice with appreciation of what they do. That's why the conversation we will have on Sunday is so important. At Mass, one of the most important dialogues in human life occurs. The priest says, Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Everyone responds, It is right and just. And the priest finishes, it is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere, to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and ever-living God. In this Sunday, we will give that thanks. God bless you. Thank you so much, Father Landry, for another moving and brilliant homily. Unfortunately, it's time to say goodbye. You've been listening to Conversations with Consequences, a service of the Catholic Association. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie. I was joined today in studio by my good friend and colleague at the Catholic Association, Andrea Picciotti-Bear. Well, Gracie, what a great uh, introduction to Newman that we had with Father Juan. Uh, All Catholics should be studying and devouring Cardinal Newman's writings, and the best way to do it is to turn to Father Juan's great books. They're very, very helpful to get our our senses of what a great treasure we have in this new saint. Well, I'm very sorry that we could only scratch the surface with Father Juan on Cardinal Newman because he's one of my personal favorites. He's a poet. He's uh, he wrote two novels. One one well two of they're both very good. One of them I love, and uh, we didn't even mention my favorite book of his, which is the Apologia Pro Vita Sua, where he defended his whole life, uh, a fabulous work of conscience. So we um, well that will have to close. Again, this is the Catholic Association's Conversations with Consequences, and thank you so much. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Um, Wherever you get your podcasts, you can go to thecatholicassociation.org to subscribe for free and also to sign up for our TCA Clips daily email. Tell your friends about us, and we will be talking to you next week. Mm